Melbourne AA Steps Weekend 2007. This is Ben talking about Step 3. I'm Ben, I'm an alcoholic, I'm sober today. Um, my sobriety date is the 15th of April 1997, so I've just got over 10 years of sobriety. And I thank the committee for asking me to share. Uh, I have been rehearsing many, many times in my mind, as you can imagine. Um, and now I'm quite confused. <laughs> so I might stick to the black bits in the book and, you know, that might help. Um, where we're at is, is being convinced. So we need to probably just have a very quick recap. You know, step one, we're looking at it in hindsight from a position, you know, hopefully safe and protected as in, in AA, uh, we realise that we can't drink successfully, we can't not drink successfully, our best efforts have failed us, alcohol is our master, we will die this way. Step two, we come to believe that there is something out there, you know, and that can be as simple as the AA group itself. We begin to see that there's a power source in there that can help us recover from alcoholism. And it says it here, it says that, not, that we were alcoholics and could not manage our own lives. That probably no human power could have relieved our alcoholism. That was certainly true for me. Doctors couldn't do it, psychiatrists couldn't do it. I, I myself certainly couldn't do it, you know. But God could and would if he was thought, you know. So being convinced we were at step three, which is that we decided to turn our will and our life over to God as we understood him. Just what do we mean by this and just what do we do? Okay, so there's going to be a list of instructions on what we mean by handing our will and our life over and how we go about doing that in practical sense. Um, I'll, what I'll do, I'll just read a bit of this out because I'll stick fairly close to it, give you some of my experiences and, and continue on with it. Okay, the first requirement is that we be convinced that any life run on self-will can hardly be a success. On that basis, we are almost always in collision with something or somebody, even though our motives are good. Most people try to live by self-propulsion. Each person is like an actor who wants to run the whole show, is forever trying to arrange the lights, the ballet, the scenery and the rest of the players in his own way. If his arrangements would only stay put, if only people would do as he wished, the show would be great. Everyone, including himself, would be pleased. Life would be wonderful. In trying to make these arrangements, our actor might sometimes be quite virtuous. He may be kind, considerate, patient, generous, even modest and self-sacrificing. On the other hand, he may be mean, egotistical, selfish and dishonest. But as with most humans, he is more likely to have varied traits. What usually happens? The show doesn't come off very well. He begins to think life doesn't treat him right. He decides to exert himself more. He becomes on the next occasion still more demanding or gracious as the case may be. Still, the play does not suit him. Admitting he may be somewhat at fault, he is sure that others, other people are more to blame. He becomes angry, indignant and self-pitying. What is his basic trouble? Is he not really a self-seeker, even when trying to be kind? Is he not a victim of the delusion that he can wrest satisfaction and happiness out of this world if, only, if he only manages well? Is it not evident to all the rest of the players that these are the things he wants? And do not his actions make each of them wish to retaliate, snatching all they can get out of the show? Is he not, even in his best moments, a producer of confusion rather than harmony? 
An actor as self-centred, egocentric as people like to call it nowadays. He is like the retired businessman who lolls in the Florida sunshine in the winter, complaining of the sad state of the nation. The minister who sighs over the sins of the 20th century, politicians and reformers who are sure all would be utopia if the rest of the world would only behave. The outlaw safecracker who thinks society has wronged him and the alcoholic who has lost all and is locked up. Whatever our pro- pro- protestations are, not most of us concerned with ourselves, our resentments or our self-pity. Right, I'll stop there. I mean, that accurately sums up my life before Alcoholics Anonymous and part of Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, you know, I've always been brought up in the case of, you know, you have to make things happen. It's You have to, you know, you're the only one who can do it. Get in there and do it. And, and certainly finding alcohol and, you know, other forms of alcohol was great for me. You know, it relieved a lot of pain and it helped set me up to self-destruct. But at the time, it was fantastic. Early in my alcoholic career, I had a great time. I drank... I had impunity, I could do it every day without hassles and I began to try and exert myself to get the things that I want out of life and they were based on my thinking. Now that happens in all of, all of my angles, it was trying to get into university, relationships, family relations, friends, driving, car, whatever the case may be, my will had to be imparted, whether it be nicely or not nicely, on situations. What I knew to be true was the truth, and that was it, you know. And as a result of that, I had conflict with others, you know. I had conflict with my university people, and they, in the end, asked me to probably go and get a job and rethink your university education. I had problems with family, you know. I, I ended up, you know, really alienating some people in my family, um, you know, I had problems with the police, with my driving and, you know, that kind of thing. I had a lot of problems with friends because, you know, I was trying to keep hostages and they didn't want to be hostages anymore. You know, they were seeing this guy die and although they were messed up, I'll grant them that, you know, I was the one on the, on the path to, to, to death. Um, you know, and relationships, I mean, forget about it. I was hopeless, you know, try and hold some sort of relationship down and it's just... It's just madness, you know, like what I want, what the other person wants, like, you know, you should be able to psychically understand what I need because I don't know, but you should know. And <laughs> You know, and rest, satisfaction, happiness. So, you know, I kept trying. I kept trying to grab it and take this stuff, you know. And as a result, my life became a mess. And my foundation of my thinking was based around you know, myself. It was my experiences in this world that I was never well equipped to deal with, that alcoholism took me down to a horrible place and I certainly wasn't equipped to do that when my alcoholic tendencies were at their full, full-blown swing, when my active alcoholism was in full flight. You know, I could barely do anything else but drink and, you know, I certainly couldn't live well in this society and I certainly couldn't align what... I believe to be true with some right and good living. No matter how hard I tried, it would always fail because I was based upon my skew with ideas. Okay? So I'm going to read on a bit because this is actually my absolute favourite chapter of the book at the moment and it's my absolute favourite section. Selfishness, self-centeredness, that we think is the root of our troubles. 
Driven by a hundred forms of fear, self-delusion, self-seeking and self-pity, we step on the toes of our fellows and they retaliate. Sometimes they hurt us, seemingly without provocation, but we invariably find that at some time in the past we have made decisions based on self which later placed us in a position to be hurt. So our troubles, we think, are basically of our own making. They arise out of ourselves. And the alcoholic is an extreme example of self-will run riot, though he usually doesn't think so. Above everything, we alcoholics must be rid of this selfishness. We must or it kills us. God makes that possible. And there often seems no way of entirely getting getting rid of self without his aid. Many of us had moral and philosophical convictions galore, but we could not live up to them even though we would have liked to. Neither could we reduce our self-centeredness much by trying or wishing on our own power. We had to have God's help. This is the how and why of it. First of all, we had to quit playing God. It didn't work. Next, we decided that hereafter in this drama of life, God was going to be our director. He is the principal, we are his agents. He is the father, we are his children. Most good ideas are simple, and this concept was the keystone of a new and triumphant arch through which we passed to freedom. When we sincerely took such a position, all sorts of remarkable things followed. We had a new employer. Being all-powerful, he provided what we needed. If we kept close to him and performed his work well, established on such a footing, we became less and less interested in ourselves, our little plans and designs. More and more, we became interested in seeing what we could contribute to life. As we felt new power flow in, as we enjoyed peace of mind, as we discovered we could face life successfully, as we became conscious of his presence, we began to lose our fear of today, tomorrow or the hereafter. We were reborn. That's an amazing piece of literature there. I mean, it says to us exactly what our problem is. My problem, selfishness, self-centeredness, driven by a hundred forms of fear, self-delusion, self-seeking and self-pity. That's my filters. I take information from the world out there and run them through the selfishness meter. And they get adjusted by fear, self-delusion, so, and then I react through the selfishness filters, you know. And naturally, I have a conflict around in the world because people react to that. If you give them fear, they will give you distrust. You know what I mean? And this is how I live my life in early sobriety. So you come to this point where you go... Okay, I believe I'm going to die of alcoholism. I believe that there is a way out. I'm keen to try and start taking this way out. Now, if it says here we must be rid of this selfishness, we must or it kills us, that's a pretty big statement. You know, your active drinking will kill you, but your selfishness will kill you. Oh, oh, hang on, now I have to look at myself. Oh, ouch. You know, and I know now I'm driven by these filters. So how then do I turn my will and my life over to the care of this God? Okay, well, we're making a decision. Now, the decision is to start living in a way that would be on God's given principles rather than self-given principles. Now, for me... My power source at this stage and when it comes back down to basics is my AA group and the AA program with the help of my sponsor. That makes it real easy for me to be able to digest some of this stuff at times. So when I ring my sponsor in the morning, I say, hey, how do I go about 
being a better employee today. You know, I'm, I'm speaking to someone who knows how to be a good employee. It gives me some direction on what I do, you know. When you want to quit, don't yell at your boss, punch him in the face and walk out, you know. Don't do that. Sit down with them and say, hey, I'm struggling with this. And it's all those techniques that I never knew about and I never knew about. And hence, I never could able to be, be able to practice them. So at this point, I'm starting through my actions to change, you know, and it dovetails into a four step where we have to have a good look at our insides. But at this point, it's a really practical, action oriented step. And for me, I needed to make a decision, especially, I'm going to use this because it's such an easy one to do and it's certainly affected me in relationships, you know. It, it's a massive one there, you know. I'm self-will run riot in my, in my relationships you know, not just with friends, you know, in relationships with a loved one or a, or a partner of some sort. You know, I've always run on self-will in those areas, you know, and for, to, to hand over my will in those areas to a loving God is somewhat difficult because I think I know better. You know, I came into AA wanting the million dollars, wanting the big house, wanting the fast cars, you know, the, the great partners and, and the lifestyle that I thought was fantastic. And at some point in my sobriety, I've had to look at that and say, does that equate to what God wants of me today? And there's greater surrenders. The initial one is to alcohol. Fine, you know, we'll continue working this program. We'll look at this stuff. The alcoholism has been handed over to a higher power. We're cooked. We're done. But in work, we may take our will back. In relationships, we, take, we hold on to it. In families or finance, we hold on to those things. And it says it here. Any life run on self-will can hardly be a success. So through our examples of living, we start identifying areas in our life which um, have been willful, where we've been in charge of our will. And for me, it seems to be the way is those situations in sobriety become painful. They become painful, whether it be in work or in finance or in relationships or family or whatever. Whatever the case may be, my actions ultimately become painful and I become uncomfortable in my sobriety. And I have to look back and I say, well, I do believe that there's a power source greater than me here. I do believe that this program works. What is it I'm not doing? Who's in charge of this? Is God in charge of that area of my life? Is a good orderly direction running that? Or is I'm running that? Now, when I run that, selfishness, self-centeredness, it goes through the fear, self-delusion, self-seeking and self-pity meters. And it comes out that way. Okay, so it's an ongoing process for me today to go back and look at that stuff and say, if there's some area of my life that's uncomfortable, that is not working correctly, that is not... Uh, a good example of what sobriety is today, then somewhere inside me, I'm running on my self-will. And I come back to the step three, and through a process of uh, usually self-examination and pain around those issues of how to having God's help, you know, quit playing God, it doesn't work. You know, and for me, the easiest way is to rely upon my sponsor and to say, hey, what am I doing here? How do I change my behaviour? 
how do I change, you know, well, stop stealing from work, put the money back in the register, you know, stop taking those DVDs and hoarding them, whatever it may be, you know. And that's the starting point of those things. And at some point inside yourself, you desperately want to do that. And you sort of reach that third step, you know. And as you practice this for a while, here's the results of having a new employer, of putting God in charge of that area. Being all-powerful, he provided what we needed if we kept close to him and performed his work well. We became less and less interested in ourselves, our little plans and designs. More and more, we became interested in seeing what we could contribute we felt new power flow in. We enjoyed peace of mind. We discovered we could face life successfully. We became conscious of his presence. We began to lose our fear. Oh, that's some early results of working this program. That's some early results of having our will in our life turned over to this power source in a practical way. Uh, I've got two minutes left, so what I want to do is we were now at step three, you know, and there's a little prayer here that I'm just going to read through. And if you care to join, you can, if you know it. Many of us said to our maker as we understood him, God, I offer myself to thee, to build with me and do with me as thou wilt. Relieve me of the bondage of self, that I might better do thy will. Take away my difficulties, that victory over them may bear witness to those I would help of thy power, thy love, and thy way of life. May I do thy will always. Now, here's a kicker. We thought well before taking this step, making sure we were ready, that we could at last abandon ourselves utterly to him. You know, and it goes on to say, this was only beginning, though if honestly and humbly made, an effect, sometimes a very great one, was felt at once. Amazing, you know. My life is no longer in the hands of that filter machine that destroys everything it touches, inadvertently or not. It's now placed in a path where I'm ready to follow the next directions and the next instructions. And uh, with one minute remaining, I'll wrap up on time. Thank you for letting me share. Information about the annual Melbourne AA Steps Weekend is available from www.stepsweekend.aagroup.org.au. Thanks for letting me share.